Welcome to the 76th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Saladin Ahmed, author of the new fantasy novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Saladin Ahmed author of the new fantasy novel, Throne of the Crescent Moon, which is available in bookstores now. Saladin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, if if the listeners haven't heard about your new novel yet, can you give them a sense of what Throne of the Crescent Moon is all about without giving away too much? Uh, Sure. Well, the uh, character that we just got a a brief glimpse of, uh, Adula Maxlud, is a... uh, a monster hunter, as it were, uh, who is uh, living in a kind of quasi-Arabian city uh, near the end of his retirement uh, as a monster hunter. And uh, uh, slowly we see a, a bigger cast and a, a wider kind of panorama of uh, of the world. And uh, it's a sort of Arabian Nights meets the kind of classic uh, or, <clears throat> to some people, malignable, uh, wide-eyed uh, 80s fantasy um, and uh, meets the uh, new gritty kind of fantasy, I guess. There's little pinches of all of that thrown together in there. Sure. Well, as you described the 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 kind of Arabian setting of Throne of the Crescent Moon, I was curious what led you to the to that kind of setting for your fantasy novel. And were there any particular novels or movies or even other creative works that inspired you as you were? working on Throne of the Crescent Moon? Uh, Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the main reason would just be my own personal background. Uh, You know, I grew up in an American uh, community uh, uh, just outside Detroit. And, uh, you know, that's uh, part of my heritage is the sort of mythology and, and the religion and the culture and the food and the sound and the language and things like that, even though... You know, I was born here. My own Arabic sucks. It's almost non-existent. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the cultural context uh, I grew up in. Uh, but the other cultural context I grew up in is I was a nerdy, bookish uh, American kid in the uh, 80s. And so I was playing Dungeons and & Dragons and reading comic books and uh, reading Dragonlance and The Hobbit and, you know, all those influences that probably a lot of listeners had in their lives uh, early on. And uh, it's a sort of mixing of those two. Um, it's sort of where Throne of the Crescent Moon came from. Um, it's also, though, because I'm you know, 37 almost, uh, uh, it's also you know, an attempt uh, as a grown-up to wrangle with some of the stuff that was in those fantasy novels as well. Uh, uh, and it was in my culture as well. And so it's a... Uh, it's, uh, it's been kind of called a throwback book, and there's some truth to that. Uh, I, I did sort of pay homage to uh, the fantasy I grew up with, but uh, it's also a kind of pushback against that fantasy, uh, and that's what fueled a lot of the writing of it. Um, as far as the choice of setting, uh, you know, other than my own kind of personal background, it's also uh, just kind of interesting to me to explore something that. Uh, hasn't been done a whole lot. I mean, it's probably the first book that used this setting, lots of older books from Frank Herbert uh, on, have sort of been influenced by Middle Eastern culture 
Arab culture, Islamic culture. Um, more recently, uh, Howard Andrew Jones is excellent at Desert of Souls. You know, has explored this territory, so it's not like this is brand new stuff, but it's uh, it's certainly less less traveled around than uh, the kind of quasi-European fantasy. So, you know, part of me just as a writer, regardless of my background, is interested in exploring something different. Sure. And and you just mentioned that kind of quasi-European or medieval setting. Have you given much thought as to, to, to why... Um, why we see so many fantasies with that setting? Do you think that writers are simply um, returning to uh, somewhat of a setting or tone that was familiar to them and, and possibly brought them joy initially as readers? Well, you know, it's always kind of bizarre to me because uh, there's this idea that, uh, you know, somehow, uh, for lack of a more specific term, somehow white people are going to be... Uh, um, naturally inclined to like Western fantasy, as if you know, uh, <laughs> some kid growing up in uh, in Newark <laughs> uh, somehow has anything in common whatsoever with like you know elves in a kind of uh, idealized medieval uh, you know Britain. <laughs> it's 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 you know that's that's not that kid's culture any more than uh, than than medieval Arabia is that kid's culture, you know, and so it's. It is a, it's reading habits, but I think that, uh, you know, really uh, what needs to be deconstructed there is just kind of the whole idea that, that, that you know, one equals one in terms of I wrote this book because I'm this, and people identify with this book because they're that, you know? Sure, sure. Well, well, I also wanted to follow up because you, you discussed um, just a, a, a minute or two ago about being born in, in an Arab, Arab immigrant community in, in um, De- Detroit. And, and I was just curious a little bit about your, 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 um, your own personal background. I mean, you talked about uh, you know, loving the, the fantasy novels of the 80s and playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And, and I, I know that, and I don't want to make you know too broad of an assumption here, but I know that in some immigrant communities, especially you know if if you were going to say like the first or second generation uh, in the U.S., there there tends to be a huge focus on on uh, being very practical and and succeeding financially, and and sometimes creative and artistic pursuits may be frowned upon. I, I wonder in your in your own kind of. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in your own childhood, what, what, what was, you know, um, you know, what was your own experience? Because I, I know, you know, for myself, and obviously I'm, you know, not from uh, an, an Arab community, but I can certainly relate to uh, the, the other part of your equation of, of growing up in the 80s um, and reading, you know, uh, many of the novels then and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons. But, but I, I'm curious about your own kind of experience Um well, you know, I think, um, I, I mean, on the one hand, there's some truth uh, behind this generalization, but I, it is a broad generalization. And, you know, I think that really, you know, you could say that about pretty much most parents. I mean, I guess, you know, if we were to narrow it down and say that the, you know, m- middle to upper class white uh, intellectuals are <laughs> more open to their kids, you know, becoming writers or something like that, that might be true. Uh, but, you know, broadly speaking, you know, I mean, I, I, I teach uh, adjunct uh, English classes at uh, universities 
often freshman comp classes, uh, freshman creative writing classes. Right. See a lot of nineteen, twenty year olds, and uh, in sort of varied universities, but often with kind of working class populations. And uh, you know, these kids, whatever their their kind of ethnic or racial background, you know, I, I, they're not being given the option by their families of. Uh, of pursuing something as fluffy as writing, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but generation does have something to do with it. Um, my dad went through a lot of the struggles with his dad, who was the immigrant, um, that uh, I saw my friends go through with their parents who were immigrants, uh, which meant that my dad was a kind of very counterculture, American, uh, very Arab, but also very American guy, uh, who was, you know, uh, had me listening to The Clash when I was a little kid <laughs> and um, was, you know, was very, very, very supportive of me always being uh, creative. He, he, you know, we, uh, we didn't have tons of money, so we thought about money, and so he talked to me realistically about how hard it was to try and make a living, you know, writing, and, uh, you know, and boy, was he right. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But he, you know, he, when I was in first grade, he used to have me write a little story or comic for him every day during the summer when I was out of school to kind of keep me, keep me fresh, <laughs> keep those muscles working, you know. Well, that's great. And, that, that, that actually leads into my next question I was going to ask you when, when you, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, reading fantasy novels and, and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons, but when did you first begin your own kind of writing? I mean, it sounds like pretty early. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I did um, all sorts of little, you know, goofy comics and stories and stuff when I was, uh, you know, when I was very young, I thought I could draw. <laughs> uh, I, I think I moved towards prose almost exclusively, um, such as it was like uh, in junior high, and I was writing my corny little stories, but, uh, you know, no one will ever see. I, I, I They're not extant. I think I probably tore them all up when I was in high school. <laughs> um, and some of them were genre stuff. A lot of them were uh, genre-tinged stuff, but, uh, but really I um, got a serious start as a writer as a poet, and I spent about uh, five to ten years, I guess, my my sort of early 20s to my late 20s, uh, performing and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, publishing poetry. And uh, I only turned to science fiction and fantasy um, in the past, it's been about uh, four years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, started by publishing some short stories, um, most of which are actually uh, free online on my website or links to them on my website and uh and then you know worked on the novel so it's uh novel took about three and a half years to write and uh and what was the path to publication like for you in getting throne of the crescent moon published uh i'm very lucky that it went well pretty smoothly for me um you know i have a lot of friends who are writers uh, a lot of mentors who are veteran writers and you know, you there's just a hundred thousand different ways. Um, some of them very, very long and tortuous that that books find their way to being published. And uh, you know, I had a I had a pretty uh, lucky experience, pretty fortunate experience in terms of uh, I found writing teachers very early when I was kind of doodling a manuscript at first. Um, Walter John Williams primarily among them, uh, who helped me kind of both 
on what I was doing and uh, and look for making connections with people when I was so I would be ready when I had something. And uh, um, my excellent agent Jennifer Jackson kind of talked to me early based on the short fiction. So um, she took a look at the manuscript and decided to represent me. And then pretty swiftly after that, uh, Betsy Wolheim Adaw, who was uh, pretty much my dream editor, um, bought the books. So it was it was uh, you know a much much better book than mine. Far far better books than mine have had a much longer path to publication. So it's it's you know a lot of it's just a dice throw. Sure. The right sure. the right time. Well, well, given your given your success thus far with having your your novel published and and your short stories as well. Um, what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers, people who are maybe, um, you know, where you were five or six years ago? Well, the I mean, the, the bulk of it is just getting better as a writer. And uh, I mean, that's which not for everyone in the world, but I think for most people uh, is connected to, to being connected to other people. You know, I do a, a, a novel critique service when I'm not teaching at university, uh, uh, I do a freelance novel critique service and, you know, I, I, I talk to writers all the time about uh, kind of making their work better uh, by having people look at it, you know, um, even if they're not going to hire a professional editor to, you know, to have critique groups that they work with or groups of friends that they work with so that the thing passes under lots of sets of eyes. I mean, thrown of the crescent meaning would never have been published if, uh, if there hadn't been tons of beta readers for it, and I hadn't made it better and better and better. So, uh, you know, just that kind of connection, which kind of folds into kind of networking with people, which one wants to do in a social way without being uh, overbearing. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and just the kind of, those two things coming together. But the, probably the biggest kind of connection I can suggest is to read, and read and read and read. And, uh, kind of surprising how many people who have kind of written a novel haven't read very many novels. And uh, surprisingly, those who've read a lot of novels generally, generally tend to to be the better writers. Not always, but generally. And that kind of leads into a question. Um, who who are some of the, the writers that you enjoy reading either now or, or in the past? Well, like I say, uh, 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 Throne of the Crescent Moon is definitely influenced by very specific uh, books. Um, the first three Dragonlance books, actually, from the 80s, uh, <laughs> by Margaret West and Tracy Hickman, uh, were were pretty formative for me, actually. And, you know, later I found out, of course, that there was some derivative stuff in there, like there isn't in every book. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I reread them recently, and they they really hold up for me personally in terms of some of the characters, the pathos, and uh, this idea of a diverse set of characters that uh, has these kind of uh, all these varied internal battles going on as they're fighting monsters, basically, <laughs> is uh, is uh, a fun one and a kind of a kind of a powerful one in a weird way. And uh, that was one of the books that uh, that kind of inspired me on that level. But there are tons of books. I mean, I spent years, far too many years, in a graduate English program, so I've got tons of literary 
influences. I mean, my favorite novel, uh, despite my love for all the kind of 80s pulpy stuff, my favorite novel is Moby Dick. So, you know, there, there's an influence there. There's a kind of Walt Whitman homage in a Throne of the Crescent Moon. So it's, uh, it's, it's hard for me to say where one influence and then one begins, but there's, there's a lot of stuff in that. Sure, sure. And what was your reaction? Um, you just mentioned, you know, being in these graduate level uh, literature classes and, and writing classes. What, what was the reaction to some of your choice of, of material in terms of uh, more fantasy and science fiction oriented? Well, when I, I didn't, when I was in graduate school doing my MFA, uh, I was doing it in poetry. So right. okay. Um, okay. I actually did have a lot of uh, subject matters it was still kind of uh fantasy and a little less so ff but uh you know there are valkyries and werewolves and jinn and things like that in my poems but uh um but it was it was poetry so you know people were open to that uh <laughs> and fiction i think nowadays it's probably a little bit different with like people like michael shaban and you know all sorts of other people yeah thinking yeah. Of, for, for people to do that i think there's probably more now than it was 10 years ago uh, being written in MFA programs. But, you know, I think there's also a stereotype of the MFA program. Um, most of them are not equipped to deal with genre fiction, but, uh, you know, there's, there's good and bad MFA fiction. There's good and bad MFA teachers just like anything else, you know. There's good sure, and bad sure. genre fiction being written, so... And and what was the what has been the process for you uh, moving between short stories and the novel? Did did you find there to be um, you know any differences there? You know, I've heard other writers sort of really talk about pretty dramatic differences for them, and uh, not so much for me. Uh, I really, even though I started publishing uh, with short stories, uh, I had written, you know, big chunks of the novel before I started to write short stories. You know, it was sort of like I wrote some of the novel, then I wrote some short stories, and I wrote some of the novel, wrote some short stories. And uh, for me, most of the difference is just about length. You know, it's about um, sort of taking a very long time to get a kind of satisfying conclusion to what you're creating and uh, having to work for a lot more days doing it. Uh, and I think the fact that that's mostly how I wrote the first book is probably uh, a pointer to some of its weaknesses. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, they're, they're, I think it's pretty apparently the book of a first-time novelist who's come from uh, writing short stories, uh, and um, or at least perfecting short stories or, or honing them, not perfecting them, before uh, learning how to hone a novel. You know, I don't think the pacing in the novel is perfect. Um, but uh, I think it's taught me a lot. Writing this first novel taught me a lot about what I'm going to do in book two. And uh, they are different beasts to some degree. There's, there's, there's something different about them other than just the difference in length. And sure. uh, or to kind of exploring more fully what that difference is as I write book two. Right, right. And is that what you're working on now, book two? Uh, yeah, well, that and... Um, mostly taking care of my twin toddlers. <laughs> so I'm working on book two when I'm not um, critiquing manuscripts for clients uh, or chasing the toddlers around the house. Uh, I'm, I'm working on book two. It's sure. coming on. Uh, yeah. Th that can be a full-time job sometimes, I know. Indeed. The chasing toddlers. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, two at one time, especially. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. So, um, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, my website is uh, saladinahmed.com. That's S A L A D I N A H M E D dot com. Uh, there's links there to all the various social medias stuff, uh, and I'm pretty much under that name all over the web. Um, Twitter, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm on Twitter quite a lot. Uh, I update there more often than I do on my own blog, which is probably not how I should be doing things. <laughs> okay. Well, again, we've been speaking with Saladin Ahmed, author of the new novel *Throne of the Crescent Moon*, and the book is available in bookstores now or as an ebook. So definitely check it out. Saladin, thanks for doing the interview. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.